0: This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. When was the last time you went to the dentist? Every six months, as they say you should? Come on, how many years has it been? It's so expensive. Even if you want to, it's a big thing that young people especially put off. They just don't have the money. We're getting right into this dental dilemma in a bit. And I want to know if you're one of the people that think dental work should be covered by Medicare. We're going to hear lots of experiences, some horror stories about dental work, how things have really escalated. People have ended up in emergency departments. We'll fill you in. Also, COVID no longer considered a global health emergency. What does that even mean? How much has actually changed? Because there was that big announcement from the WHO over the weekend. We'll fill you in. First, though.
1: Hack! Certain harms that will come with the technology and
0: we will discover and pay the price.
2: The answer can't continue to be, it's just too hard. On Triple J. So
0: this is the nightmare situation. Someone sends you a porn video saying, "Oh, thought you should see this. It's a clip of you having sex, but it's not you it's a deep fake. Not that anyone else knows that. And there's not just one video, there are dozens, and they keep being made. Well, this nightmare, it's a reality for some people, and we're being warned it could be about to happen more and more with these huge developments in generative AI. We speak a lot about AI on hack like all the time, and for good reason because experts are saying it's developing at lightning speed. And you'll remember, in the past few weeks especially, we've seen Elon Musk come out and some other big tech leaders say, what are we doing? We need a massive pause. We need to think about what we're developing here. Then just last week, a guy they call the godfather of AI, he was warning of its dangers. It's a big issue. And a lot of you are really interested, if not a bit anxious about it. The ABC's Four Corners has been looking into this. They've done a big story. It's out this week. Reporter Grace Tobin is with us now to explain. Grace, welcome to Hack. I mean, after spending months and months in the world of AI, how are you feeling? Has this freaked you out a bit?
3: It has. It's been a wild ride. We have met some really interesting people and have found ourselves in some pretty interesting situations. Um, you know, everything from people who've fallen in love with their chatbots to grief tech is a thing that I didn't realise about. And then there's this deepfake movement, which has really been accelerated by generative AI, this new frontier.
0: Yeah, we speak about a lot of these issues and developments as they happen. And as you said, you you look at the relationship aspect of it, which is fascinating. Like you speak to a guy who's in a long-term relationship with a bot and it's in intense like people you really have to see this to believe it but it's it's all there in the four corners but you also explain what's going on with deep fake porn and you speak with an Australian woman who's been impacted What is Alana's story?
3: So Alana Pierce is a video game writer from Brisbane originally. She lives over in LA where I met her for this story. I I guess because she's a young female working in a pretty male-dominated field, she's been um, suffering a lot of sexual harassment over many years. So this isn't the first time that she's been targeted by deepfakes as such. It used to be Photoshopped nudes, that kind of thing of her... um, appearing on the internet, stuff would be sent to her family and friends, um, all that kind of thing. So she's she has, I suppose, been desensitised in some ways, in her own words, over many years.
0: So what kind of things were happening to Alana in terms of these clips uh, that seemed to be of her being shared around?
3: Yeah, so basically there are whole websites of non-consensual deepfake pornography. And these websites tend to uh, target celebrities, um, influencers even. Some of them have rules on it that you have to have, you know, the woman has to have 500,000 followers, that kind of thing. And that they say, oh, well, they're celebrities. So it kind of comes with the territory. But Alana's a YouTuber. And mind you, she's she's very successful and she's, um, you know, she's great in her field of work. And yet, here she is being targeted just because she's someone sort of working in that field. But she, yeah, there's been a lot of videos made over the years and she's really just lost track of now where it's at.
0: When you speak with her on Four Corners? This is what Alana says it feels like to be the victim of this. I genuinely feel like some of it's akin to digital rape. Like these people are doing it not just because they want to masturbate to women that they watch on YouTube or whatever, but in a lot of cases because they want to have power over them. They want to have ownership of their bodies they want to humiliate them or shame them. And that's something that's really uncomfortable and difficult to shake. That's Alana speaking about her experiences. Grace, you found other examples of Australian women who've been caught up in this, even some public figures as well, who've had deep fake porn made of them.
3: Yeah, that was something that we came across actually these victims had no idea that um, the videos even existed until we alerted them, and then we set out to unmask the identity of the person who'd been anonymously posting them.
0: And did you find out who it was? We did. Oh, my god! Yeah,
3: so we've tracked down uh, the man Um Basically, uh, we linked a username that was on the porn site to a YouTube page that contained more than 100 non-pornographic deepfake videos on that. And I guess through a process of cross-checking different email addresses that we had for this person, uh, we it led us to a social media account and allowed us to unmask this person as um, Tony Rotondo. And he's a 53-year-old Australian man who's living in the Philippines.
0: So what happens then? Like, were you in touch with this person? Did he have anything to say about the stuff that he's allegedly created?
3: Yeah, so um, we, I, I tried to call him and I've also had um, some uh, email exchanges with him as well. I suppose trying to find out why he uh, was posting this material, was he, you know, why was he creating it, that kind of thing. He didn't directly answer our questions about the material, but, uh, you know, he sent me a threatening email. He also sent me individual videos of the deepfake pornography. And he has now been sent an official takedown notice by the EC. Safety Commissioner in Australia. Um, and we also understand that uh, police in multiple states are investigating him too.
0: I was going to ask what are the laws around this? If people are found to be producing deep fake porn, Are there any consequences?
3: Absolutely. It's image-based abuse. So it actually comes under the same legislation as revenge porn. Even though this is fake porn, it's still taking someone's image and using it in an intimidating, uh, harassing way. And so it still falls under those same laws. And so some states have um, very specific language around deepfakes as well. Other states are more general. But it's in all states and territories in Australia except Tasmania to my understanding, but even in Tasmania, I think it may be covered under sort of stalking and harassment sort of laws as well. So regardless of where you are in Australia, it's also a Commonwealth law, so there is an avenue that you can take and my recommendation from this story and what we found out is definitely go to eSafety.com to begin with, and they've got so much information on what action you can take.
0: Grace, there are obviously people out there who are going to be thinking, yeah, but... And they may be people who use some of this technology themselves and think there are positive aspects of this as well. Like, think about people who are staying connected or feeling connected who otherwise may have been feeling isolated alone. Think about how AI is helping us be more efficient, potentially more creative as well. Is it worth the risk, though? I guess that's the big question. and Is that what the experts were pondering too?
3: Yeah, and I think the best way that it was described to me was that it's a dual-purpose tool, that for every good use and for every benefit, there's this kind of equal and opposite negative use. And that's the kind of middle area that we're sitting in at the moment is that there's nothing to stop you using the good technology for a bad thing.
0: Was there any idea of how big this is going to get, how much a part of our life it will be in the next few years?
3: Look, I don't even think we're talking years. I think we're talking months. Like this is moving so quickly. And the reality is this, these products are already in the hands of billions of people around the world. So it's here, it's landed. And The reality now is that we're in a situation of catching up. Governments around the world are trying to catch up with it. One of the experts that I spoke to said, just start somewhere with regulation. There are so many ways in which it needs to be regulated. Just pick one.
0: Yeah, it's time to just yeah get moving, I guess. It's fascinating, this whole story. And like I said, we do cover AI quite a bit on this program, but trust me, you want to see this one. It's on Four Corners. You'll be able to catch it on iView or read the full story on ABC News as well reporter, Grace Toven. Thanks for joining us on Hack.
3: Thank you, Dave.
0: Yeah. And remember to go check out that story. It gets into dead bots as well. You know, the AI that lets you have conversations with your dead loved ones. It's so interesting. It also freaks me out, uh, but it's worth getting into and kind of listening to what these companies are saying as well. Some interesting comments there. It's on the ABC now.
4: Hack. The number of teeth I've had to pull out of not only adults, but children younger than five or six years old has been quite significant.
0: On Triple J. Yeah, even when you've got the money, for a lot of people going to the dentist, not the biggest priority. We tend to ignore those dull aches, bit of sensitivity... But now, with the cost of everything, so many people are putting off a trip to the dentist. And we know that the small issues with your teeth, with your gums, they can explode into massive problems. And then the next thing you know, you're in the emergency department. Has this happened to you? We're already getting so many people on the text line message through. Someone says, some people don't go to the dentist because of the pain. I've had to put it off because of the financial pain. That was Tim. Another person, dental affordability is absolutely devastating. I worked in a call centre during COVID and one caller said he pulled his own teeth out. That's crazy. Has this happened to you? Maybe you did go to the dentist and you were slogged with a massive bill that you can't afford. Well, some politicians reckon dental work should be covered by Medicare. We're going to speak more about that in a bit. But first, Kimberly Price has been having a chat with some people about their experiences.
5: I think it was $260
6: for 15 minutes for a script. Have you ever had a toothache and thought, I'll just take some painkillers instead of going to the dentist? What about your wisdom teeth? Are they still in there and they probably shouldn't be? We all know dentists are expensive, but do you still go to one or is it something you just leave for emergencies? I'm Brittany, I'm 27 years old and I'm from Mornington Peninsula. Brittany remembers growing up and having pretty regular dental checkups in primary school. They brought like almost like a caravan into the school, that kind of dental checkup, it hit high School, and that's when I didn't go for like seven years. You heard right, seven years. Now, Brittany's pretty lucky with her teeth and didn't have too many problems in that time. Unless you were complaining about something, mum was like, Well, I'm not taking you for a checkup of like $200 when we can't afford to put food on the table when she's like a single mum. But then her wisdom teeth came in. You know the ones, those big four teeth that come in when you're a young adult and often need to be taken out because they run into your other teeth which can be a major operation. So it went from like not paying anything to like, this is going to be a
3: $3,000 procedure out of pocket.
6: Each year, 40% of Australians delay or don't go to the dentist. Australian Dental Association Victorian CEO, Associate Professor Matt Hopcraft, says a major reason for this is the cost.
2: People think well, it's cheaper to go to a hospital emergency department than to go to a dentist.
6: A lot of dental health problems start in childhood, Matt says. But when people move out of home, usually they start to have a bit more junk food and regular trips to the dentist start to drop off.
2: By the age of sort of 15 to 30-ish, about a third of people in that age group have untreated tooth decay maybe about one in ten of those people are starting to show signs of of gum disease and tooth grinding is probably something we're certainly seeing a lot more of that
6: and that says the further away we go from the city the more the problems grow with fewer services available
2: we certainly see fewer dentists and dental practitioners in regional areas and the more remote you go the, the fewer there are and that's the same across you know all of our health services really
6: Vanessa Lamb is a dentist in Alice Springs and also works across remote communities in the Northern Territory. The teeth you see out here
4: are unfortunately a lot worse than you would expect. But that seems to be quite normal
6: once you see a few patients out here. Some of these remote communities are several hours' drive from Alice Springs, with Vanessa's team only managing to get to each place once or twice a year.
4: The teeth you see out here are unfortunately a lot worse than you would expect but that seems to be quite normal
6: once you see a few patients out here. Some of these remote communities are several hours drive from Alice Springs with Vanessa's team only managing to get to each place just once or twice a year. For a lot of people who venture into town to
4: see us, one of the first few questions I ask when they have a toothache is, so how long has this been hurting you for? Unfortunately, it's not uncommon for them to tell me, oh, it's been hurting for maybe a year.
6: Vanessa says it's not just the cost, but the nervousness or the fear that causes people to avoid going to the dentist. And this can mean gum disease and tooth decay grow into an even larger problem. And lead to them coming in either in excruciating pain or
4: presenting to the hospital in town with a massive Facial swelling.
6: The Greens want to make dental free and have announced a policy initiative and Senate inquiry to add it to Medicare. Matt backs the plan for greater government support for dental health. As after you turn 18, most Commonwealth dental benefits stop.
2: We support that approach of incrementally building on services and and making sure that people who need to access dental services can.
6: With the right government support and more people going to the dentist, Matt says a lot of healthcare issues could improve, including busy emergency departments.
2: A a well-thought-out plan from the government can actually help to address a lot of these problems, keep people healthy and save the government a lot of money too.
0: Hack on Triple J. That story from Kimberly Price and Miles Holbrook-Walk. We're getting so many messages on this one. They're flying through the text line. One person, I went to the dentist three years ago to get a quote for my wisdom teeth to be removed. As they cause me a lot of pain. They're causing cavities in my rear molars. I was quoted $2,000 as I don't have any insurance. And with COVID, loss of work, the cost of living... I can't afford to get that surgery done. That was Joshua. Another person, I didn't go to the dentist between the ages of 21 and 33. Wow. Luckily, my teeth were still fine. Another person says, hey, this is Ash from Newcastle. Dental 100% should be covered by Medicare. I desperately need to have my wisdom teeth removed. I simply can't afford to spend up to $400 per tooth. There's so many people with the wisdom teeth issue. That seems to be affecting a lot of young Australians. I hear, I had massive grief with my wisdom teeth. So how far away could we be from dental care being added to Medicare? Well, Dr Richard Di Natale is the former leader of the Greens. He's now a public health advisor and he has got a lot of experience in this area. Richard, welcome to Hack. G'day. You were the one who campaigned for kids under 18 to receive dental care through Medicare back in 2012. Do you reckon it's possible to get dental care for all Australians covered by
1: Medicare? Oh, absolutely. It's possible. I'd say it's more than possible. I'd say it's long overdue. Um, We can do it. It's going to cost a bit, but um, when you consider that most of the work that we'd be doing through Medicare funded dental care is preventative work, it'll save a whole lot of grief and pain and expense for people down the track. And then when you look at the money we spend on things like tax cuts for big corporations or to subsidize fossil fuels, uh, the state three tax cuts, I mean, it's just a question of priorities. You know You can choose to have a massive defense deal with another country and spend a lot of money. On weapons of war or you can look after people and look after their oral health and that's what we should be doing.
0: When you were in Parliament, your discussions with the government at the time, but senior MPs
1: across the board, did it seem like a priority? Well, I have to say one of the proudest achievements I had in my time in Parliament was sitting down and negotiating Medicare funded dental care for people under 18 and we did that with the Labor Party. But the only reason we were able to do that was because we had balance of power. We had a hung parliament, no party had a majority, and that was a part of the Greens election platform. We we said to the government at the time, oh, we'll, we'll support you in government, but we need to see this change. Now, to her credit, the then Health Minister, Tanya Plibersek, uh, we negotiated that agreement in good faith. And the plan always was to bring in the next group of people, and I, you don't have to bring it in all at once. You could start off with healthcare cardholders and then bring in the rest of the general community. But... I mean, last time I looked, at the mouth and the body were, were pretty intimately connected and why we treat the mouth separately from the rest of the body in terms of how we fund care for those things, it, it's just a, it's a historical accident. It should never have been that way and we've got to fix it. Well, it's interesting
0: that you say that that was always the plan, that it would move on to other parts of the community having better access to dental care. The Greens are heading this Senate inquiry into dental services. Do you reckon it's going to achieve much, that Australians actually realise how big of an issue dental care is?
1: Oh, look, I think most Australians, in judging by the response to, to, to this story, I, I think most people understand it's a problem. It's the politicians who don't but but you speak to anybody and they'll tell you a story about how they delayed dental care or the cost of dental treatment and the things they had to do I mean for for a lot of people it's a question of paying the rent putting food on the table or going to the dentist and going to the dentist is the thing that misses out and, and like it's not just about having a few sore teeth or rotten teeth or an infection from time to time this is something that stays with people for their whole life if you've got bad oral health and you're going for a job interview and you're missing some teeth, you're already behind the eight ball. You know, it, it leads to a whole range of other health consequences, a lot of social stigma. People feel, they just don't feel good about themselves. So it's something we can fix and we can fix pretty easily. I, I think what we've got to do is just keep the pressure on and it's it's stories like this and pressure on governments to to, to actually respond to what people want, what the community wants. And the community have said time and time again, we'd, we'd rather pay a little bit more but make sure everybody gets access to Medicare funded dental care. Well, look,
0: it's definitely a huge issue on our text line at the moment. We have messages flooding in by the second, people with horror stories. Someone says, you know, I can't afford it now. I've got sensitive teeth. My cousin died earlier this year due to unaffordable dental issues and it turning into sepsis. These are huge issues affecting young Australians right across the board. Former Greens leader Richard Di Natale, appreciate you coming on Hack and explaining a bit of that context and, and what we might see going forward. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. And we've got some more messages. Someone said, I just got my wisdom teeth out two weeks ago. It cost over $2,000. And mine was said to be really easy to get out. Another person, Hey, Hack, I'm a junior doctor in a New South Wales hospital. Can say that Medicare should definitely cover dental. It's a part of the body, so why not? Hack.
5: The worst thing any country could do now is to use this news as a reason to let down its gut.
0: On Triple Jack. Yeah, so a breaking news alert came through on Friday night. I was with some friends, we'd just been having a few drinks, and we all just stared down at our phones at this breaking news alert. Yeah, we're all journalists. <laughs> and it said, "The World Health Organization has declared COVID-19 no longer a global health emergency." And it felt so strange. Maybe you read this as well at the time and thought, "Is that it? Is the pandemic over?" Because after years of living in this COVID cloud, in and out of lockdowns, variants, vaccines, it felt like this was the moment that we'd all been waiting for for so long. But is it? What does this actually mean? Where are we at with COVID? Have we won this fight or have we just given up the fight? Let's find out a bit more. Professor Brendan Crabb is the director of the Burnett Institute and is an infectious diseases expert. He's with us now. G'day, Brendan. Thanks for coming on Hack. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. If the World Health Organization's declared COVID is no longer a public health emergency, is that it? Does that mean the pandemic's over?
5: Well, no, it certainly doesn't uh, mean that. Look, the 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 on-the-face-of-it message, uh, I read it just like you did, it delivers a big, you know, it's over, we can all celebrate type message. But the substance of the Director-General of the WHO's message sent a very different message. It's actually a fantastic uh, statement. So yeah, look on the face of it, you think, wow, it's over. But he delivered a message that says really anything but. We've just reached three and a half years in. Uh, we have to approach this differently. Pretty clearly, every country in the world had, beyond, had moved beyond you know, immer- seeing it as an emergency. And now the WHO has as well. It's probably the reset we need even though I know on the face of it, it it makes things harder.
0: So do you think it was the right thing to do if so many people have taken it to mean, oh, that's it, we're done with this? Because a lot of people would be mentally checking out if they hadn't already. Do you think it was the right move from the WHO?
5: Well, I don't think what they were doing was working anyway. No offence to the WHO. It's just, look at a country like Australia. I mean, it's hardly spoken about. The fact that we can have 20,000 extra people die in a year than normal you know that's a huge extra burden for australia and you know we hardly get that mentioned i haven't heard the prime minister mention that i haven't seen any national day of mourning i haven't seen any settings come in to try to mitigate that happening in 2023 just as an example so we are still going at uh, sort of eight percent australians dying more than usual so they need to change attack And, and that's what this really is i know it sends terrible on the face of it signal but the, but the substance is there it was a very sobering message that says we have a big ongoing crisis you know the third year of the pandemic was worse than the first year for the number of excess deaths in the world around about 6 to 7 million people died in the third year four to five in the in the first year and we're continuing at sort of that rate maybe a bit less so if nothing much changes it's still you know four times bigger than the next biggest disease which is tuberculosis in the world um, a massive ongoing problem but calling it an emergency wasn't working so this is maybe the pivot that's going to make a difference
0: in terms of infections and deaths how are we in australia at the moment because it does seem like we've lost track a bit is it still a, a huge issue you're saying yes
5: Yeah, it is still a huge issue. Of course, we've lost track with infections because there's not much testing going on anymore. So the infection numbers that you see don't matter much. But if you look at hospitalisations and deaths and especially excess deaths, we're going along still at, at, you know, similar numbers to what we've had at any other stage. There's about two and a half thousand people in hospital with COVID at the moment in Australia. The most we've ever had is four and a half thousand. So, you know, it's not a huge difference, if you like, and, of course, they're going up at the moment. I think the big shift is that instead of big peaks and and deep troughs, we now have a high baseline all the time. There's an awful lot of COVID around all the time. So even though we are getting peaks, we're on the way up at the moment, you'll always know someone with COVID. It just isn't a quiet time anymore.
0: We're going into the cooler months now. Uh, Historically, over the last few years, we've seen... Uh, big spike in cases heading into these winter months. Is that what we're expecting again this year?
5: Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, it isn't, I've got to say, particularly seasonal virus. Last year we had uh, four waves and the biggest of them was, uh, yes, in the winter months, but we had a very big wave in the warmer months as well and earlier in the year. I wouldn't change your mindset because it's winter. There's just COVID around all the time. Try and come up with a way of living that mitigates that, I'd say that to governments, and say that to individuals.
0: You're listening to Hack, I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Professor Brendan Crabb, the director of the Burnett Institute, about this announcement from the World Health Organization over the weekend that COVID is no longer a global health emergency. Brendan, when is it over? Because I guess that's what people want to know and are desperate to hear, and maybe why everyone got so excited with this announcement. When will we know that we can put this to rest?
5: Look, I'm not sure that there's a magical moment that uh, you declare it no longer a, a significant issue. You know, it's 40 years since our last major pandemic, the HIV pandemic. And of course, it's still a very significant problem in the world, killing about a million people a year. And a lot of our focus and people like me's focus is on HIV and tuberculosis, and malaria, the, the big pandemics of the past. And, you know, I expect uh, if you interview me in another 40 years, um, Dave, we'll, we'll still be facing a big challenge here. But I I understand the premise of your question. At the moment, it's still a crisis. Um, I don't know that there's a magical line, but we're nowhere near it not being considered, you know, the biggest health crisis out there. Just everyone needs to be aware that uh, there's three simple things they can do. Please get your booster. Doesn't matter what age you are, get your booster if you're eligible. You know, get tested. You can't get treated if you're not tested. You, You can't protect those around if you're not tested. And please breathe clean air. And if you can't breathe clean air, don't be afraid to wear a mask. I know they're demonised, but uh, they could very well save your life or, or someone, more likely someone around you. So please do it.
0: Professor Brendan Crabb, thank you very much. Thanks, Dave. Hack on Triple J. Yeah, and we've still got so many messages coming through on the story we spoke about a bit earlier regarding dental care and whether it should be affordable. The stories are crazy. Like, we've got people messaging in saying, I haven't been to the dentist in a decade. Someone says, Jade from St Kilda, I was in a skateboarding accident when I was 21. Over the past five years, I've paid about thirty $30,000 to fix my teeth and I still have another $40,000 to go. That's a house deposit. Dental is so expensive. Another person, I had my wisdom teeth extracted and put off going back to the dentist when I had pain after the op because I was already strapped for cash, ended up having emergency surgery after getting an infection. Another person says, I'm a dental assistant and the amount of times I see patients come in with toothaches and have a check for the problem, a lot of them turn the treatment away because of the costs and the public health system is inundated with patients and handing out vouchers, but there's still a waiting list for those people. Medicare rebates would help majorly. Someone else, I haven't been to the dentist since I turned 18 because it's just too expensive. And another person says yeah, I had an exposed nerve in my tooth, went to the dentist. He offered to fix it or pull it out. To pull it out was 200 bucks. To fix it was $2,500. It's cheaper to just pull the tooth than to fix them. That's It's devastating stuff we're hearing. We're going to keep on this topic. We'll be back exploring this issue and we'll be putting it to politicians as well. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple J.